So we start off in the book of Romans. And just to give us a bit of background, is that Romans was written by Paul, who I know that is not in contention. And the period of time that is said for him, it is said that he had written um, is between Kevin. Ben. Oh, so you can move it a bit so it does not cover the screen. So it is said that it was written between AD 53 to 57. Hopefully that is good for everyone, but we will, we will adjust if need be. Yes, certain angle, that's good. And then this was when Paul was writing after 20 years of being in ministry. And so he was downloading and writing his heart behind um, everything that he had seen and experienced in his journeys. And during a period of time, of a three-month stint while in Corinth, when he had some period of time, he was able to pen this book of Romans. And the difference between Romans and the other epistles that he, he wrote, for Romans, he was writing to a church that he had not gone to. Hello? He is writing to the church in Rome because he had not established the church. Some say that this church was established in Acts when the day of the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came. Because it is said some Jews had come and were also among those who received the Holy Spirit. And after receiving the Holy Spirit, they carried the same fire back to Rome and started this church. Now, as the church grew, there was an emperor who came and he made a decree and said all Jews are to be removed from Rome. Claudius. And so, this church that had been run by Jews, all of a sudden, all the Jews who were leaders, because it was Jewish-led, had to leave, and the Gentiles took over. Now, five years down the line, the emperor died, and a new emperor comes. And of course, with every new leader, they have different things that they want to, to promote. So, the Gentiles are now at a position whereby the Jews, the former leaders, have been, are coming back and there is some tension within the church. And for everything that we are going to go through, part of what Paul wants to address is this form of division that is coming along because now the Jews are coming back and they are now in contention with the Gentiles who they had led to run the church. And one of the things that is evident as we go through um, Rome is the fact that Rome was a city of power. For, 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 the Greeks, they were, for Greece, they were known for their philosophy, their intellect. But for the Romans, they were known as the power center. And that's why even in Paul's um, letter to them, or when Paul writes to the Romans, he also addresses them from a place of power and addresses which type of power is actually necessary and good. Are you with me? So, the purpose for the letter. Let's go through the purpose. One, there was a pastoral purpose. And Paul was writing 
purposefully as a pastor with a pastor's heart writing to be able to help them address the problems of the tensions of the tensions so one pastoro the second purpose is that he wanted to prepare them for the visit remember paul had wanted to come to rome for quite some time but had not been able to come to rome so he was trying as a purpose number 2 to prepare them and we'll see this evident in even how he addresses them because you know for instance if you are coming to someone for the very first time there is a way in which you lay out all your credentials so that one they can trust you so he was preparing them for his visit the second thing is instructional he was being able to want to instruct them on faith and on the basic doctrines of why of the reason for our faith the reason for our belief and the reason why we need to hang on and hold on to Christ then for teaching teaching purpose then the fifth and sixth let me go the fifth, the fifth one um answering any questions that may have arose due to judaizers judaizers were the, were mainly those who for some reason kept on opposing paul every place he went so he wanted to answer some questions because he thought the judaizers might, might might have already sent in their own report of who paul was so he needed to counter that and lastly it the the other purpose is me me frank pronounce this word it's m missiological sorry missiological missiological purpose because paul intended to use rome let me let's let's think this as rome if this is rome he wanted to use it as a base for his other mission uh, mission crusades elsewhere because he targeted to go from rome i think he wanted to go to spain but of course we'll get to see that he never got to go to spain which was really a part of what he wanted to do from the onset but he could not be able to go and also the nature in which he goes will be able to dive in and see he did not go to rome the way he thought he went he, he would go to rome he went to rome on a government paid free trip because he never he, he went in he went in chains and the government had to provide the ship for him to go with so he went eh bill a passport he did not need a passport so um yeah and so have all this in mind and so even in his um uh, in the book there are times he's addressing the jews there are times he's addressing the gentiles and there are times he's addressing all of them at once are we ready so let's dive in romans chapter 1 from verse 1 for 
the purposes of myself, I prefer to read um, the message translation. Um, but more or less, you'll find it's just different use of words, but I just like how it explains a bit more. Um, ben, actually, give me the amplified version. Sorry. The amplified version. So, verse 1, it says this. From Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, called to be an apostle, a special messenger, set apart to preach the gospel, which is the good news, of and from God. Let's pause there for a minute. Now, just as I said, Paul is introducing himself to a church that he had not been to. And one of the ways that he does this, as you can see, is that he points out one key thing as a start. That I, Paul, that my first identity is that I am a bond servant. Other versions say slave. And then he says, after being a bond servant, then I am an apostle. Because it's never the office that God puts us in that define who we are. We are defined first and foremost by our allegiance to the one who gives us any office for us to sit in. And he was very adamant in this, in terms of even how he introduces himself, even in the other episodes. And so the question becomes, if I were to ask you, who are you? Which one will you use first? Will you use your office? Or will you use your status? Because you know, the office changes. But your status does not need to change. So he says, I, Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ. Now, the other bit, at, at some point when we looked at Romans chapter 12, we looked at two categories of things that happened. Sorry, Lovestone, you'll just look for me for something to wipe. My handwriting ni kubwa. We talked about the two places that we always find ourselves in. That if we are not being transformed, we are being conformed. But here, Paul is also pointing out something else that is very unique. He is pointing out that one, if you are not, if you are not a slave of Christ, then you are a slave of sin or rather a slave to sin, that there is no other middle ground. There is no in-between place that someone can linger in, that you are either a slave of Christ or you are a slave to sin. So no matter the people that we see in our circles, no matter how posh they are, no matter how moneyed, let me use the word, no matter how moneyed they are, if they are not slaves of Christ, they are slaves to sin. 
Because sometimes you'd look at someone and you'd be like, hey, this one, Ameweza. They do not look like they have any care in the world. But remember, it's not about this world that we're living. It's about eternity. And eternity, what counts is either of these two. Whether you are a slave of Christ or you are a slave to sin. So in Greek, because Ben loves Greek, I had to look for a Greek word. In, in, in Greek, when referring to born servant or a slave, it's denoted by the word duolos. I'll, I'll tell you why I'm putting this. The reason why I'm putting this is that the characteristic of it was that a duolos or a slave was characterized by utter devotion towards that cause. That it is not just enough for us to say that I am a slave of Christ, but a characteristic that is to be seen in us being born servants towards Christ is our devotion to him. Let me repeat it again. That it is not enough to say I am a friend of God, he called me friend. But are you devoted to him? Because devotion to him is what actually shows that you are actually a servant of God. So there's a philosopher who said this in terms of how Paul introduces himself. He says that a servant of Jesus Christ is a higher title than the monarch of the world. Just to emphasize. So, chapter 2. He says, verse 2, sorry. Which he promised in advance, long ago, through his prophets, in the sacred scriptures. The gospel regarding his son, who as, who, sorry, who as to the flesh, his human nature was descended from David. Again, if we pause there for a second. One, he is trying to emphasize to the Roman church that one, he is not introducing a new religion. And that whatever it is that he is talking about is grounded in the Old Testament scriptures that they themselves knew of and had. Thank you. So he's not, he is not reintroducing anything that is new. He has not added any layer that is foreign to them. If anything, he is just reminding them of what is already within their grasp. And you know, in a time and age such as this, there is a lot in terms of what is being introduced as Christianity in quotes that is actually new religion. Oh, I need to be one with nature. Where is it written in the Bible? Oh, I need to... <laughs> oh, we'll talk about all these different things. But the essence is, Paul was saying, hey, I, I'm not trying to bring anything that is foreign. 
I am only handling that which is with you. Scriptures of old, of the promises that God had made that were fulfilled in the New Testament. Then he says, again, trying to just explain the deity of, of God, that one, that, the, that this gospel, that the centrality of the gospel is fixed on Jesus Christ. Not anything else. Because any other doctrine that talks about any other thing that is not grounded in Christ Jesus is false doctrine. Okay, we will continue. So, chapter 4, verse 4, sorry. And as to his divine nature, according to the spirit of holiness, was openly designated to be the son of God with power in a triumphant and miraculous way by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is through him that we have received grace, God's unmerited favor, and our apostleship to promote obedience to the faith and to make disciples for his name's sake among all nations. Let's pause there for a minute. He is saying that it is through Jesus Christ that one, we have been able to receive grace. And this grace is not grace that we have earned because it is God's unmerited favor that we did not earn it. We have not done enough to be able to say, I deserve to be given. You know, Ezra would do something Maybe a good deed, clean up something, and then he would come, Papa, give, or Mama, give, because he feels he has earned it. But in this instance, God loved us in our pathetic state. Let me use that word. Because in the same Romans, he says, even while we were yet dead in our sin, even when we were unlovable, Christ loved us. And this is the centrality of what Paul wants to emphasize, that our righteousness just like even Nato say, our righteousness is not what we have gained and earned by doing right. That at the end of it all, all of us are just but mere filthy rags. Hello? And so Paul is emphasizing this point. Now, other religions, one of the things that they do, one is that they advocate one for you to attain grace or salvation, you have to perform rituals. Or you need to jump over the hoop six times. You need to go and swim in Rivayala five times. <laughs> you need to cut your hair to be bold. You have to pray facing a specific area or direction. All these things are but rituals. Secondly, they want to say you have to lose all desires. You have to be able to attain a, a state of bliss for you to attain salvation. 
You have to be one with nature. That's where one with nature is. I wonder how you can be one with a tree. But people say that. And it is there outside that you need to be one with the tree. You have to behave in a certain way. Sorry for my... Behaving in the right way. Moralism. You have to, again, still tied to this, achieve a sense of absolute. Or you need to just give yourselves to your pleasures. So you just have to pursue pleasures. Or you have to stick towards obeying laws. And this, as Frank has said, is legalism. So you find, and here in terms of legalism and obeying laws, if you do the right things, then that is when blessings will come. But if you do the wrong things, you are inviting curses and death to come. And we have a huge population that is here. Even Christians, even believers who believe that they have to, there is a set of do's and don'ts. And then there is also a growing population that is in here. Pleasures. And a, a few that are also here and here. Oh, and let me not forget the, uh, the, the <laughs> let, let me not forget nature. Nature, here, nature is here. And then in verse, in, in, in verse 6, he says, after talking about in verse 5, it is through him that we have received um, grace, God's unmerited favor, and our apostleship to promote obedience to the faith and make disciples for his name's sake among all nations. He says, and this includes you, called of Christ and invited as you are to belong to him. So as we are seated here, that there is a special invite that has been given to us to belong to him. And you know, this invite is also for you to be able to go and to invite others. I remember the parable of the banquet. The parable of the banquet says this, as we, 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 we look at it a few, that there was, an, a, a, there was a party that was organized, but yet those who had been given the invite to come to the party did not turn up. <laughs> and so, the host said, go and invite everyone on the streets. And I feel that even for us, God is inviting us. 
just as we have this invitation card with us, that let's go out and invite everyone that we meet. We'll come back to that. Verse 7. To you then, all God's beloved ones in Rome, called to be saints and designated for a consecrated life, grace and spiritual blessing and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He describes them from that verse in three unique ways. He calls them that they were the beloved ones. Then, he said, called to be saints. Let me say called and saints. Then he says to a consecrated, other version says set apart or designated life. Look at your neighbor. Tell them neighbor, you are loved, you are called, you've been set apart. And Paul was using the exact words that the children of Israel were told when God was calling them. Let me say it again. Because we need to understand the depth of what Paul was telling this, 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 the, the Roman church. He was telling them that the same invite has qualified them to step into a place of love, of calling, and of designation. Let me say it again. This needs to sink. <laughs> that Gideon, as you're seated there, in Christ, that the tagline hashtag that you have is that you are loved, you are called, and you have been set apart. Hashtag. Last, last, last week, the hashtag was find your spouse in the house. Yeah, giddy. <laughs> the hashtag for this, for this week is that called, uh, loved, called, and set apart. Because we are loved. We are called. We have a calling. Our calling is not limited to the work that we do. And we have been consecrated or designated. So, and again, this is for everyone, regardless of race, color, gender, or any other social demographic you may want to use. Let's proceed. Verse 8. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith your trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness is being proclaimed in all the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit by preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how continuously I mention you in my prayers, always pleading that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last come to you. Let's continue. For I am yearning to see you, that I may impart and share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen and establish you. That is, verse 12, that we may be mutually encouraged 
and comforted by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. Let me pause there and, and, and just say this. You know, again, back to <laughs> one of our values of um, belonging, aka community, is that Paul is acknowledging one of the things that is very important. That when we meet as community, it is not just about Agnes's Agnes being able to rub her faith on me. But as we meet as community, it's, some, it's, 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 a, it's a dual process. That our faith is able to encourage one another. That as we meet, our faith is able to spur us into greater um, degrees of faith. That as we are meeting, we are able to challenge one another that even to the, that one that may be feeling like, you know, there are weeks you can feel like that wood that has been soiled in water. But you know, as you meet together, even that wood that was soiled in water, all of a sudden, because you are hearing um, Kevin drop a word, then you are hearing Juliana drop a word, then that, that cold, that wood that seemed as if it was dead, there's some sparks of, of fire that starts to come about. And as that fire starts to come about, you feel like you can do the next one week strong. Then the next day you will not even have the same step as you're going to the office. You have a different smile. You have a different step. So <laughs> this week in our table, <laughs> our table is the best, by the way, Frank. You need to come to our table. <laughs> this... <laughs> Okay, that's a good one. It's one of the many bests. <laughs> so this week, there was a challenge that we set for ourselves. We were like, I, let's power one another that we can be able to wake up early to pray. So I remember that day, I actually slept late, but I, I remembered we, we, have, we, we are sparring one another in faith. We have an agreement. And it was a prayer day. It was um, Thursday. So I woke up early. By the time I'm looking at my phone, Bob was already up. I was like, Bob is up. <laughs> then I look, Mary Omola was up. I was like, even Mary is up. I can't remain in bed. Let me wake up. Then it turned out that <laughs> that day during prayer, it was only our table that was there together with Sharon and we, we <laughs> oh and Lillian sorry and Lillian <laughs> and Lillian and Lillian and Lillian <laughs> but but the main purpose we were like let's let's encourage each other that we wake up early and pause and seek the Lord and it 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 was amazing. Just being able to know that there is someone who is holding you accountable. So what Paul is saying is that he is not just expecting, even though he has 20 years of experience in ministry, that he is coming to be the downloader for them to just receive. Because he is saying, I may have 20 years of experience, you may have one year of experience, but there is still something I can learn from you. 
And that's why you can never feel as if you are inadequate. That scripture that you have is enough to light a fire in someone else's heart. I remember when I first started <laughs> preaching. The only verse I knew was John 11.35. Jesus wept. <laughs> then I graduated from John 11.35 because we had a teacher who kept asking, please come with a memory verse. Then I was like, Lord Jesus, what will I do? Then I said, I do not, I want a stress-free time in school, so let me fast, let me learn the shortest. So, but you know, after, one, after two weeks of saying Jesus wept, the teacher was like, you have to grow up, I'll have more scriptures. <laughs> then I was like, okay, John, 11, John 3, 16, that kept me for a while until the teacher forgot about the business of asking and we moved on. But it is, it is that, that, that little thing that God is doing that is enough to spark someone's heart. Let's, let's proceed. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that many times I have planned to come to you and I've been prevented so far so that I may have some fruit of my labors among you, even as I have among the rest of the Gentiles, both Greeks and barbarians, verse 14, to be cultured and to be and to the cultured and to the uncultured, both to the wise and to the foolish, I have an obligation to discharge, um, to discharge and a duty to perform and a debt to pay. So for my part, I am willing and, read, and eagerly ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's pause there for a second. One of the things that I was fascinated about Paul was his readiness. Oftentimes, when you look through his epistles, he says, one, I am ready to die. Two, he says, I am ready to preach the gospel. And we'll, we'll, we'll go into the reason why. When he was... Um, Taking, uh, when he was mentoring Phil, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, from verse 1, he tells Timothy this, as he charges Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right and even when it is not. Keep your sense of urgency. Whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable. Whether convenient or inconvenient. Whether welcome or unwelcome. Correct those who err in doctrine or behavior. Warn those who sin. Ex ex exhort, exhort, exhort. That one. And encourage those who are growing toward spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. Let's pause and look at what Paul is asking Timothy. 
is saying, one, be ready to preach, whether it is convenient or not. <laughs> Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Ask them, when has it been inconvenient for you to preach that you decided not to preach? And, 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 and he says, what, what response did they tell you? Gloria. Which response were you given? Eh? Eh? <laughs> he speaks. <laughs> okay, so Tom says he speaks his mind all the time. But he... he Paul is telling Timothy that keep the urgency all the time. Do not just wait to preach the gospel when it seems convenient. Do not just want to preach the gospel when you feel you've mastered five scriptures without missing one so that we can see you are an intellectual. He's saying, do not wait until you feel that it is, in, it is convenient time for you to preach the gospel. But be ready even when you feel and you know that it is not even, it's an inconveniencing time. You, you know, sometimes we are interrupted in our days and we feel, ah, this is an inconvenience. Let me move on to other things. Someone bumps into you, you're not seeing that as an opportunity to preach the gospel. You're seeing this is a nuisance. But he's saying keep the urgency. Keep the urgency. Give me just five more minutes. Then we will pause. Then he says, and be able to correct those who err in doctrine or behavior. Even as you are talking about the ones in want to achieve absolutes. As we're talking about the ones who want to just stick in obeying the Lord, that we have that mandate, that this was not just a charge to Timothy, but it's a charge to us. Of course, doing it in love. Let me add that. Doing it in love, so that it is not a fight. <laughs> you know... <laughs> It can, turn, it can turn into a fight. You are wrong. You are going to hell. No, it's, 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 the urgency does not mean that it is a fight. But let's keep the urgency. Then he says something very interesting. The last line. He says, with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. I for one am asking God. Lord, help me to have inexhaustible patience. I thought I was patient, but I am not as patient as I need to be. And may God give us a heart to have inexhaustible patience, even as we walk with one another. Two more things. Two more things. I want to get to the I am not ashamed bit. You know, 
um, Charles Spurgeon says this. He gave, he gave a story. He says, um, a certain preacher was about to be sent to preach in Greenland. He had never heard of Greenland before. But when his leader told him that he needs to go to Greenland, he answered, Sir, I will go when my boots come from the cobbler. Apparently his shoes were torn up. And he did go as soon as his boots came. He wanted nothing else but just that pair of boots. And he was ready to go. Paul, not even waiting for his boots to come home from the cobbler, says, I am ready to go. Oh, it is grand to find a man so little entangled that he can go where God would have him go and can go at once. May that be us. May that be you. That when God asks us to go, we are not asking for our shoes, our pens, or anything else. We are going at once. Then verse 16. And verse 16 is a hallmark of, of, of what he is laying into. And it says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ. For it is God's power working unto salvation for deliverance from eternal death to everyone who believes with a personal trust and a confident surrender and firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So people have said that this is actually Paul's thesis statement of the entire letter. And it says, he says, that I am not ashamed. And he gives some characteristics about the gospel. And one is that the gospel message is a bold message. And if it is a bold message, it can't be delivered by someone who is not taking up the boldness of the message when delivering it. Because he says, secondly, that it is it is power, dunamis, I doubt that spelling, but because of uh, writing, you'll just say that is the spelling. And it is a powerful message because it is God's message. It is not man's message. It is not man's invention. It is God's message, and because it is God's message, it is a powerful message. And you know, some have said that the gospel, the good news, for some, why even Paul had to re-emphasize is that this news seemed to be too good to be true. That it seemed too good to be true. That after all the years of oppression, finally, they were hearing that there was a way for man to be reconnected back to God and it was out of God's in, in initiative and not man's. Remember, all the other aspects heavily rely on man's efforts, man's intention. But this one, 
They couldn't believe. They would be like, how would a loving God who is without fault or error decide, the one who was offended, decide that I will reach out my hand for the one who offended me? When was the last time someone actually offended you so much and then you're like, okay, I've been offended. Let me go and reach out to them. How many have we deleted from our contacts? <laughs> or blocked? Or cut off, ghosted? Yeah, you've, you, you even went and, and photoshopped all the photos that you are together. Now, instead of having a photo with two people, we are seeing one, and this other side does not look complete. It looks like this person was on the edge when the photo is being taken. But God, but God, but God, in his mercies, he comes and he reaches out with good news to man. The scripture that we read earlier, Isaiah 9, described the type of darkness that these people are living in before the good news came. That there was no hope that there was no chance that they would think that there is ever anything else until a son was born. Until a son was born who was able to come and take away the sins of the world. Let's be up on our feet standing. The reason as to why the good news remains to be powerful is that this good news transcends and is able to change our hearts. All the others that are out there cannot be able to change people's hearts. But it is out of God's mercies sorry, that over and over again he extends an invite to each and every one of us. And I for one, I'm like, if God was able to save me, then there's no one that God cannot save. If God was able to reach out to you, then there's no one that God cannot be able to reach out to. And I am praying as well that in the midst of us walking with the Lord over one year, two years, three years, that we do not lose the importance, the significance, and the cost that it took from the Lord to be able to rescue our life. And that as we are standing here, that we will remember that we are loved, we are called, we've been set apart, or we have been consecrated. And this is a privilege. This is a privilege.
this is a privilege. And because we've been given this privilege, we walk out to give out the same privilege to others. Because even for you, God used another person to come and speak to you. Will you decide, will you choose that as you walk out of this place, one, you will not forget your identity. Two, that you will be able to spread this love to the people around you. And three, if you feel like you've been stuck in a place and you can be stuck in a place whereby one, you're not even feeling the joy of the Lord anymore. It's upon you to just reach out to him and he will be able to just flood you with his love. Flood you with just not taking it for granted the fact that you are in, you have been called by the Lord. So with every eye closed, Father, we thank you. Father, we bless you and we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to call you our Father. Thank you that, Lord, you paid a price for our lives. That, Lord, you did not rely and you've never relied on our efforts. But, Lord, you intentionally have pursued us. You've intentionally have opened your floodgates of love over our hearts over our lives, over everything concerning us. And Lord, even as we start this journey, as we walk through uh, the book of Romans, Lord, we ask, may the principles, may the, may, may the revelations of the Lord be opened in our eyes like never before. And we ask that, Lord, may the truths of your word, of the gospel, of this powerful gospel, be made a reality of what and how we live and walk in our daily lives. That, Lord, we decree and we declare, Lord, let this be embedded in our souls, in our spirits, that we are loved, that we've been called, that we've been set apart or consecrated, that nothing can take your mark of approval over our lives, even as we walk with you to the glory and honor of your name. Father, we thank you and we bless you. So even as we close our eyes, maybe you are here and you have never, you have never given your life to Christ. Just as we've read, this is a privilege that God gives us. This is a privilege that he allows us to have as we walk with him. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you're not walking with him, just lift your hand and then put it down again and we will pray together. And just ask for God's grace to be made manifest. God's power, God's love to be made manifest. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, we thank you and we bless you. Receive all the glory, the honor, the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless.